Good morning. That video is about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you don't know what that is, it's an offering we take every Christmas, Southern Baptist churches, and that money goes directly to, 100% of it, to missionaries around the world, our missionaries, our friends, our brothers and sisters that are counting on those funds to come in at Christmas time for all kinds of purposes. I have ridden in a car, a Ford Focus named Lottie. And so there are, there are all kinds of places that that money goes to. And so I hope you will prayerfully consider uh, giving to that. This morning, we're back in Galatians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, please go ahead and turn there. We'll be in verses 8 through 20 this morning in Galatians chapter 4. I want to ask a question for us to consider for this sermon. Are you on the same page as the Lord? It's a valid question. We need to consider if, if, if God is the one who owns the world, he's the one that started this whole deal. He's what Christmas is about. He's why we're here. We're breathing his oxygen. It's a valid question to ask, are we in tune with him? Are we on the same page he is? Are we actively engaged in what he is doing all around us every day? Many times marriages crumble because spouses are not on the same page. It's a communication barrier, right? Many times in the workplace, when difficult things happen, it's because of miscommunication most often. A moment of confession, my wife grew up next to a Target, right next door to it. And uh, so she just grew up going to Target whenever she you know, got excited about going to Target. And so when we got married, that was a difficult transition for me because, see, I don't like Target. I think it's a yuppie store. Uh, they don't have gunpowder. And so I don't like it. And uh, when we found out last year uh, God was going to send us to Bay St. Louis, I looked. There was no Target. I was so excited. <laughs> Allison looked. She was not excited about there not being a Target. So, a few months ago, I guess about six months ago, we were somewhere, and there was a Target close by, and so she, um, in order to get on her page, I let her drag me in that store. And um, I said, well, I'll grab the buggy. And so I grabbed the buggy, and I start heading down the aisle, and all of a sudden, I noticed something about the buggy. It was smooth as a sea of glass. It was like a Cadillac. And I thought, man, growing up, I, didn't ever, I never got to experience this. I always had the Walmart buggy that had, like, thread hung up in the wheel, and it's turned sideways and making a loud noise as you go down the aisle. And the point is, sometimes there's a better way of doing things, and Target folks came up with a better way to do a buggy or a grocery cart, if you will. Now, once you experience the Cadillac grocery cart, you just can't go back. You can't go back to the way things were before. I mean, you can, but you will not enjoy it. There'll be something, you, you've tasted something better. Now, I still don't like Target, but I, like their, I appreciate their carts. <laughs> Galatians chapter 4 is all about Paul saying, Guys, I'm concerned for you because you're not on the same page as the Lord. And so let's read the first verses 8 through 11 to get us started. So if you're physically able, I'd like to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word, verses 8 through 11, 
and then we'll get to verses 12 through 20 a little later. Verse 8, chapter 4 of Galatians. Paul writes, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I, have, I may have labored over you in vain. Father God, we pray right now, Lord, that you would let us be a people that have ears to hear what the Spirit would say. and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The pastor, writer, teacher Chuck Swindoll in his book Simple Faith tells a story of a traveler who between flights at the airport stopped and bought a small package of cookies. So she sat down in that bookstore and she was reading her book before her flight left and, and she sat down in this busy place and as she began to read, she noticed a rustling sound. And she looked up over her newspaper she was reading, and she noticed there was a well-dressed gentleman that was helping himself to her cookies. Half angry and half embarrassed, she reached over and gently slid the package closer to her as she took out a cookie, and she began to munch on it. Well, a minute or so passed before she heard more rustling. The man had gotten another cookie. By now, there was only one left in the package. She was flabbergasted. But she didn't want to make a scene, so she said nothing. And finally, as if to add insult to injury, the man broke the remaining cookie in half, pushed one piece across the table toward her with a frown, gulped down his half of the cookie, and left without even saying thank you. She sat there, dumbfounded. Sometime later, when her flight was announced, the woman opened her purse to get her ticket, and to her shock, she discovered her package of unopened cookies. Now, somewhere in that same airport, there was a man figuring, trying to figure out why this strange woman had the audacity to impose herself on his cookies. That man and woman... They were not on the same page. There was total confusion. There was frustration. And many times in our lives, our frustration comes from not being in tune with the Lord. In the first century church, the Judaizers, they had invented their own version of the gospel. They tried to create this hybrid version. Things were spiritually falling apart because they were not on the same page as God. The Judaizers, they were producing this false gospel that was no gospel at all. It was a knockoff brand. It was the fake Oreo brand of Christianity. It was no gospel at all. And they wanted to delegitimize de de Paul. They wanted to undercut him because he represented the true gospel. He represented the Lord, and they wanted to create their own set of rules and do things how they wanted. That's a problem in the church today. People want to rewrite Christianity. People trying to rewrite what the church of God has believed for 2,000 years. And we have the book. Amen? We have the book. 
And God did not stutter. He's given us what we need. He's given us everything we need to know about him and the mission. And he's called us to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet many of us want to go and rewrite what we're supposed to do in serving the Lord. God has called us to care about the lost and broken world. It's not an option. We are his hands and feet. Many Christians, many churches, they want to change God's text or ignore it entirely. Vance Havner said, A soft and sheltered Christianity, afraid to lean and loan, unwilling to face the storms and brave the heights, will end up fat and foul in the cages of conformity. So the Lord this morning, he's not called us to continue the status quo. Can you imagine the disciples sitting around drinking coffee, complaining about the government, complaining about their retirement account, fussing because their neighbor didn't pick up the trash can in time? No, they didn't care about most of the things that we concern ourselves with in the church. They were in love with Jesus. He was all that mattered in their life. And everything else paled in comparison. They were excited about what the Lord was doing. They believed. They knew they'd been commissioned for a task that was much greater than them. Paul says, do you remember when you were enslaved by those things that weren't even gods, little gods? He says, but verse 9, now you have come to know God. Or rather, to be unknown by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Paul says, you're becoming slaves, friends, and you don't even know it. You're not even aware of it. And that's why Paul was writing this letter. He was writing it as a wake-up call to say, hey, because I love you, because I care I want you to come back to the Lord. Verse 9, he says, don't turn back to those old ways. Friend, this morning, 2017, going into Christmas season, don't turn back to that old way, that old life that the Lord rescued you out of. Italian scientist, Alessandra Volta, that's where we get the word volt from. 1800, he created a device that created a steady flow of electric charge. He became the first person to transfer electricity, linking positive charge and negative. He discovered how to transfer voltage. In 1841, Englishman Frederick de Molins created the first version of a light bulb. Electric current heated heated powdered charcoal between two platinum wires and an evacuated glass tube. Too expensive, and it burned out too quickly. In 1879, another gentleman, Englishman, Joseph Swan, created a working lamp with carbon filament. It still burned out too quickly to be an affordable source of light. It was 1879, an American named Thomas Edison. He used a thin carbon filament with highly electrical resistance, and after trying 6,000 different materials, he settled on carbonized bamboo, And he discovered that it worked best to make his filaments. In 1880, Edison's bulbs could last 600 hours and is very similar to the cheap bulbs you would find at Dollar Tree today. 
This changed the world. It changed society. People no, how, no longer had to rely on sunlight. I was thinking, how would the world be different if light bulbs were never created? You're probably there in your seat could think of a lot of those, and I, I want to encourage you today. Think about the things. Everything in your life that would be totally different because the light bulb, if it were never invented, just a few, there would not be a 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. news. Wouldn't be. No one would stay up that late burning oil. No one could work at night, or it would be very rare to do so. The Christmas package that you ordered online would take twice as long to get there because no one would work at night. We would never have meetings at the church at night. There would never be any Christmas lights. It's kind of sad, right? Skyscrapers would never have been built. And on and on and on. And friend, today, we no longer need to walk around grasping in the dark because we have light. And that's what Paul's saying to these Galatians. He's saying, hey, you have seen the light. Don't go back to the darkness. Don't go back stumbling around. Don't go back to how it used to be. Friend, we're going forward. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Paul's writing and, and reminding them of when he first came there. He had to become like Gentiles in order to show them that it was not with following the Jewish law when it came to right standing with God. It wasn't dependent on the law. And Paul had to prove that to them with his own life. He had to cross over that barrier. He had to become like them, so to speak. Now Paul was begging them to become like him again. Not that he, came, he became like them, and now he's saying, hey, you come over to my side in rejecting legalism. He says, become as I am, for, all, for I also have become as you are. Then let's read verse 13 through 20. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Paul's right there. Obviously, something happened in Paul's life. There was an illness of some sort. There was a, a thorn in the flesh that kept Paul there uh, with these churches longer than he probably intended on, and God used that to raise up disciples there. And Paul says, and when I came, my condition, it was difficult. We don't know exactly what it was that Paul struggled with, but this morning, if you have a struggle... You should be encouraged knowing that Paul, the apostle of God, had a great, great trial. And these people, they did not scorn or despise him, but they received him as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ himself. That is hospitality, to treat a man like the Lord. And Paul's reminding them, you put on the dog for me. You went all out. You took care of me in my time of need. Verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Let's pause right there. Paul saying, you did all these things for me, and I'm so grateful. Now, why would I 
tell you something that's going to make you not like me. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, why would I go out of my way after you have really blessed my life and you've, you've been over backwards for the ministry to help me? Why would I go out of my way to tell you something that's unpopular? And Paul's reminding them, it's because it's the truth. It's because I'm not, this has nothing to do with personality. It's because you need to know the truth. Aren't you glad for friends who pulled you aside? Ladies, aren't you glad maybe when you were in college or sometime another, you had your, another lady friend that said, hey, this guy, he's trouble. He's not really who he says he is. Aren't you thankful for people sometimes that speaks a word into your life? That's what true friends do. And Paul was a true friend of this church. And he was perplexed. His mind was blown that they had become so eat up with legalism that they had forgotten the cross. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Paul says, these teachers you have coming to your church, they're not even representing the Lord. They're all about trying to make themselves look good. They don't care about God's ways and God's mission. It's always good, verse 18, to be made much of for a good purpose and to not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Do, you. do you see the language there that Paul's using? His heart is broken. I mean, he uses the illustration that, like a woman in struggling with the pains of childbirth. I mean, what would Paul know about that? I don't think he did. I just don't think he assumed that was the worst possible pain. And he said, I'm hurting for you, friend. He says, I am perplexed. In fact, if I were in your presence, I would change my tone. Paul was broken. He was brokenhearted. I wonder today, while we're not more brokenhearted for people, for other churches, for other people, that's our problem is we're not broken. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 3, the Lord says, They make ready their tongue like a bow to shoot lies. It is not by truth that they triumph in the land. They go from one sin to another. They do not acknowledge me, declares the Lord. I wonder if it breaks the Lord's heart this morning that in the homes of many believers, the filth of the world reigns. I wonder if it breaks the Lord's heart that so many people who claim Christ lie and cheat just like the world. I wonder if it breaks the Lord's heart that we as a nation are allowing abortion to go on in our land. Your and my tax dollars help pay for it. I wonder if it bothers the Lord if he's broken over us. So many Christians today covet in their heart and lust in their minds. Christian, we're supposed to be different. The problem is many people in the church today think they're going to heaven because they were baptized and grandma saw it. It has nothing to do with it. Baptism is the expression of salvation. And just because you walked an aisle and said a prayer doesn't mean that you know Jesus. Now, if you repented ever since and put your faith in the Lord, then yes, you came to know Christ. And I'm going to give us two tests. If this morning you're wondering, man, do I know the Lord? 
Two points I'd like to make to test out if you know the Lord. Number one, a believer has placed their hope in Jesus for salvation, for the payment of our sins. That's how you know. You place your hope in the Lord for your salvation, not in something that you have done. You're not putting your hope in good works and giving money and speaking up for orphans, fighting against the cause of abortion. You can do all those things and still bust hell wide open because you may not have never truly repented and placed your hope in Christ. So believer, number one, they put their hope in the Lord for salvation, not in anything else. Number two, 1 John 5, verse 18, says that we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. So number two, you have a new nature. You have a new nature with new desires. That does not mean you will not sin anymore, because you will. But the language there in 1 John means that we will not continue in sin willfully and defiantly. You can't have a mouth that praises the Lord and a life that crucifies him daily. Can't do that. That's not what a believer does. In fact, after you come to know Christ, sin disgusts you. Sin is gross. Sin breaks God's heart, and you don't want to touch it. You don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, that doesn't mean you don't struggle with it daily. But your overall, your heart, your desire is not to follow the world or yourself. It's to follow Christ. It's like even a dog does not return. I guess some do. Return to their own vomit. That's not what we do as believers. When God saves you, he changes you. He begins to change you from the inside out. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says, this will encourage you. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Say it again. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. There is proof that you are the Lord's. A lost man just stays down. A lost man just stays there and wallows in his sin. But a saved man is miserable in that sin. And he may wallow there for a season, but the Lord won't let him stay there. The Lord will convict him. The Lord will discipline him. The Lord will come after you because he wants to bring you back home. Salvation means a new direction, a new road, a new purpose. Have you had that take place in your life? If you have not, friend, I want to tell you, you probably do not know the Lord God Almighty. And today can be the day of salvation for you. And so when someone says, are you on the same page as the Lord? You don't have a clue what that means because you've never been on the same page as the Lord. Today can be your day, friend. What a, what a day. We'll have a party right after with all kind of food. In 1999, Lockheed Martin and NASA worked together on a, uh, building a satellite that would orbit Mars. The problem was, Trey, that Lockheed Martin used the English system of measurement. And NASA used the metric system. And ultimately, $125 million was spent, basically lost in space. Why? Because they weren't on the same page. Somebody didn't pay attention to the details. This morning, I wonder what God's doing around you and me 
and we're missing it because we're not focused on what he's, we're not sensitive. We don't even, many of us don't even care what God's doing around us. Nuclear regulators warned a nuclear power plant in Japan that it could not stand up to a tsunami. They didn't listen. And it cost $12 billion to shut down the reactors after the tsunami. The captain of the Titanic was warned of icebergs, but he charged forward anyways. Today, we need to heed the warning or our life will be lost in space, melting down like a nuclear reactor and headed for the icebergs. Friend, God doesn't want your ship to sink. He wants it to thrive. He wants you to sail to new waters. He wants to take you places you've never been before for his glory. He wants to show you great and awesome things. But it takes you following him. It takes us putting all of our hope in Jesus this Christmas. Let's not put our feeling this Christmas in feelings. Not put all our hope in feelings or tissel or mistletoe. Our presence. Let's put our hope in Jesus. We're about to go into a time of invitation. Fancy way of saying, hey, we can respond to what the Lord is saying. And he's here. And he wants to do business. He wants to show you how much he loves you. Maybe you're thinking this Christmas, man, I don't feel like anybody loves me. The Lord does. He proved it. He stretched out on a cross for you while you were a sinner. Christ died for you. He doesn't love you a little bit. He loves you a lot. He loves you more than you love you times 10. He loves you so much, he wants to tell you today. He wants to show you something very intimate. He wants you to come hang out with him, spend time with him. He don't want you to worry about things you can't control. He don't want you to be sad all day. Even Jesus was a man of sorrows. And sometimes he was sad, very sad. So it's, it's okay to be sad, but in that sadness, we need to know that he's with us. And there's a joy that's constant through Christ. This Christmas season, the Lord doesn't want you to worry about all the people in your family. He wants you to be concerned for them. He wants you to be broken for them. He wants you to pray for their salvation. But he don't want your days to be filled up with worry about the neighbor's garbage can. He don't want you to be worried because such and such didn't put up Christmas lights. Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't take you anywhere. Friend, today, would you come to see that the Lord God Almighty, he's sovereign, he's on the throne, his kingdom's on the move, and he wants you to come and rest in him. Come join him. Are you on the same page as the Lord? That's a very personal question. A question for you and you alone. The Lord loves you, and he wants you to be on his page. Let's pray.